In the unprecedented times of the 2020 pandemic, our country's digital divide became widely exposed and the effects of increasing economic and digital inequalities became more apparent. As the founder and president of a technology firm, Ed Christmas questioned the reason for this, as well as the underrepresentation of blacks in the field of technology and entrepreneurship. On this podcast, Ed Christmas talks with guests about what is their why and the road they are on to bring our society to a place of greater economic and digital equality while sharing the good news of those making a difference. Welcome to The Road to Why, presented through the partnership of Cisco and Sology Solutions, a proud member of the African-American Cisco partner community. Welcome to The Road to Why, where we highlight individuals and companies that are making a difference and having an impact in our communities. I am your host, Ed Christmas, and I am pleased to have joined me today, Aliyah Hawk, Chief Operating Officer for the Academy for Advancing Excellence. Welcome, Aliyah. How are you Thank today? Thank you. I'm doing great, Ed. So glad to be here today. Really I'm appreciate the invite. I'm excited to have you here, and I know you've been busy, so I appreciate you coming. <laughs> As course. you know, on this show, we like to try to understand everyone's journey on their road to why. So I'm just going to open it up and ask you to, first of all, tell us more about the Academy for Advancing Excellence and your role there. So great question. So I'm the chief operating officer, which we're a newly formed company. So that means I'm doing a little bit of everything <laughs> until we get out of this kind of startup mode. We were actually born out of an acquisition of another company, which is called the Center for Workforce Excellence. But we are a global leadership development company, and we focus on everything from um, elevating middle managers because we know that people don't leave companies, they leave managers, to diversity, equity, and inclusion work, to helping to ensure that HR professionals know how to recruit talent, retain talent, so really help them to manage the entire employee life cycle. And we're also getting much more involved in research and assessments. Gotcha. So what type of companies do you target? So we tar target companies who want to transform, where they know that there is a need for cultural transformation. We have typically operated within the Fortune 500, lots of technology companies, mm -hmm. but we're noticing that technology, as you know, from this past year has just been suffering. And we also know that those are the companies that really need our help the most. And because of what's been happening in the economy, they're not always positioned to be able to take on our services. Absolutely. So we're wanting to get more into, into the co consumer good space. We're wanting to get more into healthcare, but we really target companies, typically the Fortune 500, who are interested in cultural transformation. Got you. And that uh, mm -hmm. word culture is very key, and I'm going to come back to that, but I want to highlight DEI. Mm -hmm. It's a very sensitive subject in yes. today's climate. Mm -hmm. So I want to get your perspective. Uh, are these companies embracing DEI? Uh, I've seen it being used as a weapon. What's mm -hmm. your perspective? So it just depends. You know, people, things come in and out of trend. Mm -hmm. And I think it's unfortunate that DEI is now seen as a trend, something that's out of trend. However, you can't unring the bell that was rung in the 60s and that was rung in the 2000, in 2020. We now know that inequities exist and we can't act as if we don't know. Mm -hmm. So as leaders, we have to take a strong stance to say, we're going to do something about this. We're going to create inclusive cultures. The data and research has not changed on why the business case for DEI exists. Right. So what we really need leaders to do is really to just step up and take and just say, this is important for us, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's also good for business. So I don't think that we can have a conversation 
conversation about DEI without really talking about the importance of inclusive cultures um, from an innovation standpoint, from a collaboration standpoint, and of course the impact on the bottom line. How did you get into this? Give me a little bit about your background. Oh man, Ed, that's a, I mean, we don't <laughs> even have enough time, but I'll, <laughs> I'll do my best. So because I'm an African-American woman, diversity, equity, and inclusion has always been a part of my, my journey because my lived experience. And I really started my career in health and human services, and I wanted to create, I didn't have this language 20 years ago, but I wanted to help to create equity in that system. Because what I noticed is that people were treated in a way um, that was really not ideal for someone who needed services. I think that as a society, we look at those uh, people who are in need of services really as those people, mm -hmm. that they are outside of who we are. And we're not, we're all together in this society. And what I learned is that when we work with families and help to elevate them, the most vulnerable parts of our society, it helps to lift all of us. Absolutely. So equity has been a part of the work that I've been doing, although I didn't have the language. But I happened into DEI because uh, I was in leadership development. And leadership development, I believe, is a key to helping to really change our society and change culture as a whole because we spend so much time at work. Absolutely. But the short story is I was my mentor um, had an opportunity for me. And she says, hey, come teach this program. And mm -hmm. I'm like, sure, I'll teach the program. And then I started to notice how important it was to do the work. And I was like, oh, yeah, we need to keep this focus. Absolutely. The why. <laughs> yeah, this is the why. why. This part of the why, for sure. So I want to talk about inclusion in mm -hmm. the tech world. Mm -hmm. uh, Sology Solutions in partnership with Cisco mm -hmm. is how I met you. Uh, we're trying to get more of us in technology mm -hmm. and entrepreneurship. So that's mm -hmm. where my why has focused lately mm -hmm. in building tech centers in mm -hmm. underserved communities. But when you talk about underserved communities and people being and individuals being marginalized mm -hmm. because of poverty, right? Mm -hmm. um, you must ask yourself, what has to change to include inclusiveness mm -hmm. in the workforce and society, including these individuals? Any perspective on that? Oh yeah, more, we need more time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one perspective is that there again is this um, this us versus them kind mm -hmm. of mentality. There's not a sense of inclusion, and it's oh the people who are over there that's the way they are, and mm -hmm. we don't see ourselves as part of that community, and we truly are part of that community. So I think it's important that we start to think about people's needs. Now, people do have varying levels of needs based on where they are in life. Right. So I think what's most important for us to do is to, one, not put people off to the side like, oh, well, it's them over mm -hmm. there, but to really think about how can we how can we all rise together? Absolutely. And part of the way I believe that's to be done is to create, create opportunities for people and opportunities for people that are really, when I say opportunities for, really I should say opportunities with right. people that really really do talk to people about what, where do you see yourself? What's so important to you? When I was working in health and human services, I had a program that was all centered around family preservation. And I had a client call me because she wanted to come back into the program and it had not been a year. And there was a, a time limit or a time, there was a, a time that you could come in and out of the program, which was one year. And I asked her, what have you been doing in these months? Because I wanted to see if she had taken advantage of any of the, the opportunities that she had given to her or that were included in the program. And I said, have you gotten your GED yet? And she said, no, not yet. And I didn't ask the question, why not? I asked if it was important to her. 
So part of what we have to do is we have to find out what's important to the population mm. that we're talking about instead of making assumptions around what people need. Now, are there certain functions that I believe that people need? Yes. Infrastructure, grocery stores, access to jobs, access to health care? Absolutely. But really getting people involved in what their needs are and how they want to be cared for, I think is ab absolutely critical. No, you're absolutely right. And on that subject, we talk about these same communities not having grocery stores, mm -hmm. you know, uh, food deserts and yes. not having access to health care. Yeah. Uh, in the tech field, we talk about the digital divide, right? Mm -hmm. Not being able to compete in a yeah. digital economy just because you don't have basic broadband mm -hmm. uh, connectivity. Um, so. I know you talked about having an interest and a vision for real estate development in these yep. communities. If you don't mind sharing what that is, especially from your background being on the public sector side, mm -hmm. you've seen it, you've seen what worked and what hasn't worked. Uh, can you share your perspective of your vision there? For sure. So my big, hairy, audacious goal is to really build inclusive communities. And those communities are, they, they are really about helping to elevate everyone in the community. So. It's about creating economic sustainability. So it's very interesting. I was just in Arkansas visiting my fiance's family and it's a town of about 10,000 people. And in that, that place, there are, there's a Walmart and there's actually two other grocery stores. There's a farm feed store, there's um, a Walgreens and there's all this infrastructure and a structure of 10,000 people, mm -hmm. okay? It's hard for me to believe that in South Dallas, <laughs> with the amount of density, right. that we can't put a grocery store there. Right. It just, it's not nonsensical. And I know that there's a business model that gets applied. I totally understand mm -hmm. the business case. And there's still a human case that needs to be considered. So to continue to answer the question, part of what my vision is, is really creating communities, again, that are economically sustainable. So that has to do with housing. It has to do with job readiness. It has to do with ensuring that people are bankable so that people can actually contribute to the society that we're in. And what I found in working in health and human services is that people want to contribute, but they don't know how. Mm -hmm. People don't have the orientation. We're, we're all ori we're oriented differently. And I think it's important for us to pay attention to that. And again, to the point earlier, go to people and say, what is it that you need? How do you see things? Meet the people where they are and then bring them along. So, yeah. And if you talk about uh, economic development mm -hmm. without putting these places there, you're not creating jobs, right? right. So you can't have it. Uh, both sides, you know, right. oh, we're going to put economic development, but no companies are going down there. Exactly. So even if we create housing, so we talk about people being unhoused, even if we create a ton of housing, but there's no place for people to work and there's no options for transportation, then we're right. not actually solving the problem. Absolutely. So something else in the model, and I didn't do a great job of explaining this, but part of the model looks at people from a holistic perspective and all of the different things that you need to be able to thrive and creating communities so that you can. I live about seven miles from here and in my community I can work someplace I can go to the doctor I can go mm -hmm. to the grocery store I have everything that I need in my community convenience yeah. but it's an economically sustainable community so if we just take the existing model and move it we may have to scale it down we may have to make an adjustment uh, some adjustments but it's all doable so I think we have to also get out of this mindset we're so stuck in this mindset of it has to look this has way has to fit this model right it has to fit this model well what if there are three models that right. actually work and you use them in different places and you kind of plug and play? What might happen then? And what is very interesting is that you actually create a different consumer base. You actually create a different workforce. It, it creates 
something that we don't actually have, but we can't start, keep trying to take this existing model and plug it in somewhere because it doesn't work. Right. This, the circumstances are not the same. So we've got to expand our mindset. A square and a round hole. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't know if you're aware, Magic, Magic Johnson had influence on a Starbucks in, mm -hmm. in the old Red Bird mm -hmm. Mall. Mm -hmm. And I just heard the other day, it's one of the highest performing yes, Starbucks is. there yep. is, which is amazing because I'm sure prior to him getting involved, they did a model and right. it just didn't fit, right? Exactly. As the LA Fitness that's down in Redbird oh, is incredibly, oh yeah, it is incredibly profitable. So that's the thing. We have to change our mindset because there's an assumption that, oh, well, people aren't going to do this and people aren't going to do that. Well, maybe if we build it, they'll come. You right. know, maybe we need to start thinking, well, not maybe, we do need to start think of, thinking differently about the models. Share your perspective of, you know, in these communities you have unemployment and that's where people harp. Mm. But then there's underemployment. What's your perspective of underemployment and why is it so strong in these communities? One, I think it's access. So, you know, if a, if a good paying job and good paying is relative, but if a good paying job is 25 miles away, but let's say that I have familial circumstances that don't allow me, maybe I'm a caregiver, they don't allow me to be so far away from home, mm. then it's hard for me to get there. It's hard for me to be able to be as present as possible. And we also have to think about all of the other things that may be happening in a person's life. Mm -hmm. So familial obligations, um, environmental obligations, the, just the overall emotional tax of what it is like to live in an, in an underserved community. All of those things play into it. And I mean, I don't wanna get too, um, too far here, but also we've gotta consider what a livable wage looks like. Mm. You know, we can't, uh, have people working for seven thirty-five an hour and expect that they're going to be able to thrive when rents are $1,300 a month and groceries are whatever they cost because I'm afraid to look at my grocery bill <laughs> you know, every right. month and I actually have the luxury of, of not paying as much attention to it or even looking at gas that's three forty-two per gallon. I mean, the, we have to be considerate of what does it actually cost to thrive in this world rather than just saying, oh yeah, well, people have jobs. But do they have jobs where they can actually be participants right. in society in a way that I personally would want people to participate? Right. Good question. Going back to your role in the public sector, mm -hmm. um, when you talk about these communities of being inclusive and offering these services, mm -hmm. do you look at that as the responsibility of our governments, whether state, local, uh, or is this something that private partnerships have to get involved in? So I think it's both. Um, the when I worked in, I worked in Prince George's County, Maryland, and we were part of this, the state would give us funds and we would then put those funds out for our, uh, RSP, RFP, excuse me, request for mm -hmm. proposals and people, community-based organizations would respond. So they were the implementers of services. Mm -hmm. So I think public-private partnerships really do help because it, it, it fulfills different needs. You know, private companies can, can exist and navigate differently than, than public, public companies can. And public companies aren't government. So government, so I feel like everyone has a different role to play and it will take all of us to solve these problems if we believe that we are, if we want to solve them. Right, no, I truly believe private um, public partnerships are mm -hmm. the future. Yeah. Uh, and it's also what I call a corporate uh, social responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you and your role today, I'm, I mm -hmm. would imagine you're starting to see 
more and more corporations pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to bring up Cisco again, going back mm -hmm. to how we met. Mm -hmm. uh, they're taking this very serious oh, yeah. with their mm -hmm. social injustice initiative. So mm -hmm. do you see more and more companies coming on board to participate <laughs> in these types of things? You know what? It's all relative. It depends on leadership. Mm. Uh, and something that we're noticing a big trend is, end is ESG, so environmental, social, and governance. Mm. And some um, CSR, or corporate social responsibility, is starting to go under that S. Mm as DEI is also people are trying to like push it under the social as well. Are they so, hiding it? Yeah, it's like they're hiding all the good stuff under the S. So I think I think it just depends on the company and again it depends on leadership. I was having a conversation today actually with the big box retailer, a, C, a chief diversity officer at a big box retailer. And in advance of the the affirmative action decision around affirm or the so the Supreme Court decision education. around affirmative action exactly in education they started to really prepare their leadership to get their their continued to commitment to DEI. I think the same is true of corporate social responsibility is people have to continue to get uh, sold or enrolled in the benefit, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think especially in public traded companies, boards are concerned about returns. They want to make sure that shareholders can be taken care of. And I don't think we always do a good job of looking at all of the stakeholders and not just the shareholders. So I think it's important as we think about corporate social responsibility that we're looking at companies holistically and considering, okay, here's the place for corporate social responsibility, which I think is very important because of the role of private partners, private public partnerships, and just the impact that we can again have together. Like we didn't create these these issues, these challenges that we have separately, we're going to have to solve them together. So uh, I'm curious now, you brought up this big box and mm -hmm. the executive team there trying to get ahead of what's mm -hmm. already been voted on in the mm -hmm. education field. Mm -hmm. What do they see that impact having on them? The pipeline, the talent pipeline. Okay. So if you are limiting who can come into universities, et cetera, et cetera, um, the opportunities that were created may not be afforded because of many different reasons. So what happens is you may not have the diversity graduating. You may not have access to the same talent pool that you did before. Right. So that will continue to have ripple effects. Like we won't see it in the next two years, right. but in the next four to six years, we'll start, we'll start to, to see a change and a shift. So I think it's important. I was on with uh, someone from Notre Dame and he was saying that what they're doing is they're actually um, shifting some of their programming using different language and really starting to uh, target people in places that were targeted before that were named, but just really learning how to navigate differently so that they can continue to have the pipeline that they need. Because again, we can't unlearn what we learned in 2020. Right. We can't act like that didn't happen and it doesn't, and, 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 and inequities don't exist. Right. They exist, they're present, and we've got to do something about it. So they'll start targeting underserved communities, for example. Right. Um, so on that note, uh, I'm hearing there's going to be a, a workforce shortage, mm. and I keep asking myself, how can we not pay attention to some of these groups that are, you know, being mm. marginalized or left out right. in society when we're going to have a shortage? Right. And I don't think anyone has the answer. Back to your point about pipeline mm -hmm. with the big box or any corporation, mm -hmm. if you just look at the demographics and society as far as there's a group that's getting smaller and smaller, Right. they're going to be a big void if yeah. they go down that path. Agreed. So, so it's all interesting to me how it's <laughs> it all going to come yeah. together. The tea leaves are there. You just have to read them. Yeah. So <laughs> if you talk about 
individuals that want to make a difference, mm -hmm. um, corporations, mm -hmm. you know, what would you tell them if you could just share with our audience? Just do it. <laughs> just do just it. Just do it. Like, pick something. There's lots of different challenges to solve. Pick something and get after it and solve it. All of these things are solvable. We can put grocery stores in food deserts, mm -hmm. but we've got to change the mental model. We can educate people who are not educated. We just have to change the model. I was having a conversation with a, a, a psychologist, a school psychologist out of the, the, the Baltimore area. And he was saying that education, the way in which education is going, we're going to have people who just don't come to school anymore because of the way the education mm -hmm. system is shifting. We can't afford as a country to have people who are not educated in this right. country. We just, it, it, the, the workforce sh shortage that you're speaking of, that, that will become even more and more massive. Right. So we've got to take a stand as leaders and say, okay, we're going to focus on education because we know that education, there's a pipeline, there will right. be a pipeline issue if we don't address this. We're going to focus on the environment because we know it's 110 degrees <laughs> every yeah. day for 30 days <laughs> right. and we need to do something Something's about wrong. that. Like right. something is wrong. <laughs> So I think that we've got to start to really have serious conversations about solving these issues. They are solvable, but we can't just keep on spinning the wheel and saying, oh, well, we'll do something about it. If these were corporate imperatives, we would have all failed. Absolutely. We would have all failed. And we've got the, the brain trust and enough power to actually solve some of these things. So just do it. But don't you find it interesting, no matter what side you're on politically, we're not talking about education, we're not talking about healthcare, we're talking about everything but. Right. So it's uh, very interesting in today's times. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something that I read mm -hmm. on you that you said for a long time you ran away from your why. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was in 2014 the mm -hmm. light bulb went off. Yeah. And I guess you embraced it. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. So my purpose, my why is to be of service. And I grew up in a household where I was the uh, I was I'm, I have an older brother. I'm very close with, we speak every day. Um, but I was the one who often did the heavy lifts and not because he wasn't capable, just because in black families, quite often you love your boys and you raise your girls. <laughs> it's just, Hey, it is what I've it been is. Having this debate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to feel like me serving or being of service was like put upon me. It wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't make the decision. It was put upon me. And then when I realized in 2014, I was going through my own leadership development program or going through a leadership development program, having my own experience. And what I realized is that I was actually just doing the thing that I was uniquely designed for. It wasn't put upon me. It was what I was here for was mm. to actually serve. Wow. And what I also realized is that service doesn't mean people pleasing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the direct opposite. Right. Me being of service to you could be the worst that you could think it's the right. worst thing that I've ever done. Why I fired people right. and it was really to serve them. <laughs> and it didn't Absolutely. feel like that right. initially, but trust me, it was to serve them. It was like, you're not thriving here. So I'm going to free you up so you can go and do the thing that you really want to do. Mm. That's being of service. So what I realized is that me being of service and it changes depending depending on the environment that I'm in, depending on the task that's being done. But I'm very clear that my purpose is to be of service. Awesome. That's mm -hmm. outstanding. Mm -hmm. And you're doing a wonderful job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and saying that, we're going to wrap up here shortly, but I want you to give the audience by looking in the camera, mm -hmm. your closing comments, anything you got to add. I just think the, the journey to why is one that is highly personal, but necessary. Um, as Ed mentioned, and 
after 2014 is when I really like I got into it and I said this is what I want to do this is who I want to be and I have to say that my life changed when I actually started to live my purpose so my encouragement to everybody is to do the work to make the determination to put the stake in the ground and say this is who I am this is how I want to live my life and this is my why because one I think the world needs it there's a great quote from Howard Thurman uh, who was a mentor of Martin Luther King Jr. that says uh, go do what makes you come alive because the world needs people who are alive. So I think when we lean into that thing that makes us come alive, it's not just for us, but it's for everyone who's around us. Wow. Powerful. Thank you, Aaliyah. You're welcome. I knew you would be awesome. Oh, thank uh, you. I hope the audience uh, enjoyed this conversation. Um, I think we're going to close now. And until next time, be blessed.